this week on Ace on the House. So I would say you can get a good hand brush, like a good brush at uh, the the one that Cinderella would use to do the like to do the floor. Yeah, make sure it's kind of soft though. You don't want too much of a stiff bristle because you'll fuck up the carpet. How would that work out today? Like super hot blonde just floating around the house, and you just walk away and you go, "I want you to clean all the fireplaces and scrub the floors," and then you leave. Like she'd be like, "Fuck you, dude! I'm gonna fuck your best friend." <laughs> The story would never work now. It would never fucking work. Check out an all-new episode of Ace on the House this Saturday or visit aceonthehouse.com only on the Ace Broadcasting Network. You're listening to the Ace Broadcasting Network. Okay, welcome podcasters. As usual, we start off with our jazz series. And what, what I'm going to do uh, for us today is um, two important people, um, um, Henry Mancini, these are, these are kind of both come from musical scores, Henry Mancini and Johnny Mercer doing the lyrics, Days and Wine and Roses. Think about Mancini is that he wrote really great melodies and romantic melodies, Moon River, and so on. But he also liked jazz very much. And then the second one will be kind of a funky jazz pianist, wonderful guy I've seen in person. Um, But he wrote a beautiful ballad. I don't know how it came about or what it is, because he's a real funky jazz player. But he wrote this beautiful ballad, Misty. So I'm going to get those two in tonight. Days of Rose, Wine and Roses, and um, Earl Gardner's um, beautiful ballad, Misty. Welcome to Life Lessons with Jim Carolla and Ray Oldhofer.
Welcome, Cod. <laughs> Podcasters. <laughs> We're in a new studio. Well, it's kind of a nice, a whole new setup. We're kind of trying today. Uh, Adam did a lot of renovation in the studio, so we're in the new one. So we get acclimated to this uh, new studio. That's why you'll all be called Codcasters from now on. Cod. Anyway, um, for today, um, we're going to talk about, um, you know, we've talked a lot about Buddhism and Zen, and and now we're moving on more to the Judah. Jewish, uh, um, Judaic, Christian um, ideas. So um, a particularly important stage prior to this, prior to Judaism and the Torah, and later on Christianity, um, was an age um, I call the age of the stage of the of the sages. Now I'm going to put it in some kind of historical. Um, Context. Um, age of Sages? Yeah, the Age of Sages. Um, Sounds like a movie I would like to see. Yeah. Um, anyway, of the, of the three dynamic uh, parts of uh, history of man, social history, came in three stages. Was the, um, first was the Stone Age, and this is very primitive, everything with stone, everything made with stone. Now, the second age was the Bronze Age, and this is a particularly interesting age um, because it was the discovery of bronze, which is, uh, maybe Ray will know more about this. Um, I think it's um, copper and tin. It's uh, it's an alloy of tin and copper, right, Um, a mixture. So they took the natural ores of the earth, and now they were able to manifest bronze out of it. Which I imagine is that, is that a strong material? Is no, that, no, kind of weak. Really, what what would be made of bronze that you would know of? There, there's like a lot of some fixtures, you know, as far as lighting. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, bronze is kind of nice. I mean, but it's a, you know, it's it's um, earth toned. It's got a soft feel to it, but it's not very strong. Okay, I, I didn't know that. So the bronze. Like if you have something that's bronze, you can tap it pretty easily. Like if there's something threaded that's mm-hmm. bronze, you can take a piece of steel, you know, work it in and re-thread it mm. quite handily. Okay. So Ray's giving us a little knowledge about the metal metallurgy um, as it advanced the Bronze Age, uh, an alloy of tin and copper. But anyway, that was a whole age that started in 5000 BC. as an age of mostly... Uh, uh, warring tribes. There were no real nations yet. Warring tribes, and a lot of so 3500 BC. It went to about 12, 1200 BC. So quite of a long time. Um, a sophisticated metallurgy uh, culminated in discovering then eventually iron. That, then the Iron Age began, and everybody kind of knows the, the power of of iron. Um, Just the word iron. Iron, yeah. <laughs> and um, anyway, be- between the bronze and the iron, um, a stage that I'm going to call the Age of Sages. This was kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting time. Um, 
the, the sages, there was a lot, in the Bronze Age, there was, was a lot of chaos. And in fact, the, um, the Bronze Age collapsed uh, about 1200 uh, BC. Um, and it transformed into different things. But there was chaos, conflict, the Dark Ages came following that. Uh, even in China, um, uh, there were changes in dynasties. So it's kind of a warring age. Um, but sometimes when a lot of conflict occurs and then we make attempts at resolutions, there could be some gain. So this, this crisis introduced thinking and solutions. And this is the era that we welcome in the stage, Age of Sages. It's the era, era, era of um, inner learning, inner, where they began to look at the inner life, maybe for the first time, where they, um, with all the aggression and all the battles for survival, this was an age where they're beginning to realize there might be more, there might be something of value in the inner person, not just in this, all this warring, something inside oneself. Um, and in India and Eurasia, but particularly in India, some important schools began um, about about eight about eight hundred BC. I, w- I would say this part takes place, um, and the Upanishads and these things they wrote down. They were like stories. They were the beginning of, of. Uh, in fact, the word means um, the seat, uh, the seat close to the master. And this was, again, the beginning of now Buddhism and Zarasutra, uh, Lastal, some important big names at different places began to think about um, this inner life. In fact, um, meditation was born at this time. What, so you're saying a thousand years ago? I mean, 3,000 years ago? Yeah, it was that, 800 yeah, about, about that. Um, but this was the first time some real thinking about the most striking ideas were, were the conviction of the interconnection um, process of, of eternal, of the eternal, that there was something above sense that they called eternal and, and, the, and the uncreated universe and the notion that the world is, is Brahman's dream that's how it's said in the Upanishads. Um, we had, and uh, we have to escape the constraints of matter. That's the first time thoughts like that ever came down. The constraints. Constraint what? Of, um, of, um, of matter. Oh, Equally, the constraints of matter. Yeah, the constraints of matter. Matter wasn't the all-powerful thing. Equally powerful, perhaps, is in the implication of the idea of, uh, of, um, of a spiritual life. Um, and the beginning of reincarnation, that's where reincarnation was first born. Um, so you can see there's, a, there's some different things now been going. These sages began to come together. They began to think, and because of commerce, um, business, people began to come across each other, um, and they began to, to talk. They, they debated about the themes like um, um, uh, the nature and the origin of the universe, difference between truth and falsehood, spirit and matter, 
change and status, right and wrong. You, you can hear much different than it was during the Bronze Age. Techniques of discipline, investigations of questions. Um, was that and, the age of enlightenment? No, that's later. No, we haven't reached enlightenment yet. Still, I Damn. Mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really? No enlightenment. But a lot of communication. But when you say that um, that's the, the start of reincarnation, you know when you say – like when you were a kid on the schoolyard and somebody was like, uh, you know, I'm reincarnated of Napoleon or whatever, you know, because oh. there there's a lot of that. That word reincarnation when you were a child was bandied about quite a bit. So whenever somebody that's – when you were a child, but then when you get to adulthood and somebody says reincarnation – you automatically go to flip case. Mm, flip case. You know, like, okay, uh, what's going on with them? You know? Yeah. So that's the modern day schoolyard term for it. And, but anyway, continuing the Upanishads a little further, there are two important people, Mahariva and Buddha. Now, all we all know about Buddha. Um, we're a kind of a religious discipline designed to free uh, the soul and encourage charity and aestheticism and most of all meditation. It's the beginning of mindfulness. Uh, this is all maybe six, fifth, four, four, I'm, I'm sorry, seventh, eighth, sixth century. Uh, people beginning to think and talk about that's possible even for what he called nirvana. What, what's the first guy's name you said? Um, Mahavya, spelled M A H. A V I R A. You know, that's like um, the um, VHS versus the beta. Mm. Right? VHS versus beta. Yeah, everybody had a VHS because oh, remember see. when they came out? Nobody knows who Mahariva is, but everybody knows who Buddha is. They all know Buddha. Right. Um, now, uh, this, this nirvana, the first time that word would be of use. But literally means extinction, extinction of the flame, a state of utter indifference, away from just mind and matter. Um, could, now, incidentally, it's the beginning of the age of also of the monistic life. People that realize in Buddhism that in everyday life is going to be pretty hard to do all these disciplines and advance in age. So the monaster, monistic life begun then. Um, but Buddha said it could be done in normal life too, but monistic life gave you, if you can devote yourself to it, if you have the money and the freedom to do that, then you'll reach it even, this nirvana, even faster. Okay, so I'm setting up something now for the Judaism to occur. Um, and um, in the meantime, the earth... And all countries in Greece and China are some kind of a little uh, beginning of a possibility of, uh, of uh, uh, experimenting in the inner life rather than just the outer life. Now remember, man all through those eras thought man was is evil, just my was reading today. A lot of evil, and his goodness would have to be trained into him. So it was a lot of discipline. Um, what are you to, saying? You're born evil? Yeah. Man is evil. He's an animal that's uh, left to his own resources. 
It's going to produce a lot of chaos in the world. So politically, that was also something in that, in that area. So we're, getting, we're beginning to see the signs. We're beginning to see these different ages. And remember, the, the, the sequence is stone to bronze to iron. Um, but there are cultures that went from, if I remember right, went from stone to iron. They skipped over the bronze part of it, some, some places in Africa. And there are also some cultures today that, are in, that live right now in this century in the Stone Age. They never moved to bronze or iron, stone. And they're in like Brazil somewhere. Indian. What are you talking about, like indigenous peoples that yeah. have not been like really discovered? Exactly. And then I they, would hang out with them. They're, 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 you know, they, at least they keep their mouth shut. <laughs> I think. I don't know. Maybe they talk. I don't know. But, um, uh, yeah, that's mostly in uh, Brazilian jungles. Still in um, Stone well, you know, if you're gonna, we're going to mention that, then I think we should uh, mention, you know, Amazon. Our sponsor. Hey, you guys, this is Ray with Life Lessons with Jim Carolla. And this is a plea because business is business and our business isn't doing so well. So please help us out. You got that? And I'm not kidding. Help us out. So go to Life Lessons website and click through the Amazon banner and help us. Come on. Now that's a plea and it's a good one. Do so. Thanks. All right. So we just had our little commercial. Um, all right, now that leads us, remember we're moving from tribal, um, tribal warfare, tribal gods, um, in the very difficult Bronze Age, um, intellectually very stagnant, not many important thinkers talking about it, and we move that into the, the, the age of sages, which are teachers, are thinking about it, and particularly thinking about the inner life. All right, so that's a good segue now into the Torah, into the, in Judaism and Christianity. But first, Ju- Judaism. Um, Halel was a, was a rabbi and scholar, Jewish scholar. And one day, somebody came up to him and said, I will embrace your Judaism on the condition that you can teach me the whole of the Torah while I'm standing on my right foot. So Halil Simon s- says. Yeah. Halil took that challenge and he said this, whatever is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. And he said everything else after that is commentary, but that's the key. You can see that's very like Christ- the Christians seem to have um, taken that one on too. So whatever is hateful for you, whatever is not good for you, and we all know this naturally, do not do it to other people. That's something you could really have in mind. That's what the Torah is about. Now go and study, he said. Okay, so the first step in anything, as we begin to learn a little about what the Torah, and very little today, but something, that it's the world of ideas. When we think we know what is good, but can we act on it, the Torah asks. So it's a matter of action. Ideas are great to start with, and we need them, 
but they're not enough. Are you willing to pay the dues that uh, has been outlined by the Torah? And second, to carry out the truth takes a specific preparation of mind before anyone can carry any serious intention. We're talking about knowledge now as it relates to being good. So we can know and we have sometimes have a sense of what being good is, sense of treating people good, but can we actually do it? That's a big one. That's the big one. Actually put it into action. And you have to be awake to do that. Um, You can't um, do that in your day-to-day. If you're not awake, you're not getting that. Right. So there's the preparation needed. And number three, could it be that way we use our mind? Could it be the way we use our mind and the ideas that uh, allow to take root in our mind, can they come from the center of ourselves, not just the, um, the conditioned eye, something deeper in ourselves, the human center of ourselves, a more authentic self? And number four, we are asking about the whole meaning of knowledge as it relates to our ability and our intent to do good and deeper, authentic self. Knowledge related to that ability and the preparation to have that ability. And number five, the fifth point is the Torah points to all of humanities to have found fundamental the foundation of man in the universe, uh, along with a highly developed teaching about the structure of the human psyche and the nature of the inner struggle that is offered to anyone, as uh, the Torah would say, who would seek God in an inner struggle, or for Buddha and that um, sages will be said, um, seek nirvana, or an enlightenment. So, so um, to seek uh, and to serve God for the for the Torah and for the and for Buddha would be nirvana and enlightenment. What did you say to me before? You said a pretty profound line, like, um, you know, what are you serving? And um, that everybody's serving something. Okay. You know, and if you're if you're on to it, you know, what are you serving? And who are you serving? Yeah. That's, that's a big deal. That's a question that could really Ray points out that could really be taken into a, what are you serving in your life and everyday life? What am I serving in everyday life? I, related to the purpose of our life. What am I serving? So when, when Halil said go go study, that's the training of the will and self-renunciation. The undirected ego, the, I'm sorry, the undirected ego has to be undergo a real radical change. Loving understanding coming into one's life is needed before as needed before a person uh, will be ready to make room for higher knowledge. You mean those new Levi's aren't going to do it? <laughs> right. What about, but I like those shoes. Hold on. That car is nice. 
Ah, mm-hmm. uh, fuck. Right. One of the main points of the Torah, um, even to begin this training, this indispensable inner struggle, there's going to be an inner struggle. For anybody that's tried meditation or tried anything in consciousness, you know a real inner struggle, a battle between yes and no, a preparation to meet, uh, to meet the will and intention. It's going to come right up against the other parts of ourselves that are not interested in it. So the Torah speaks of that. Ideas alone are not enough. They have to penetrate down to the deepest part of our heart, our soul and tissue. Mine is like a bric-a-brac shop. Good ideas could be neutralized in some cheap objects. Remember the bric-a-brac shops? I don't know if people even know about them today. But they were the shops that had a million items are all mixed up. Like a souvenir shop. Yeah, a souvenir shop. Of all, just shit. Yeah. Um, things are in the wrong places. You can't find anything. Well, the mind is like a bric-a-brac shop. It's got tons of stuff in it. Well, it's got – uh, but you have – there's a lot of this – like I know with my own self-study, I mean there's tons of like different um, – what is it? Distractions, you know, distractions. like almost conditioned distractions, alcohol, yeah. cigarettes – you know, those are addictions more so, but then other distractions that I've had in my past that don't work anymore, like, you know, women and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that, then you you kind of wake up to them, you know, slowly, or you, you get to witness them or, or watch them, and then you can make better judgments sometimes. But the struggle begins there. So the struggle's there. Anything you ever spoken of, women, money, all all that stuff. It's a great call to us to keep going in that direction, keep going on the same way. So a great struggle needs to be gone through, and that's the preparation. Our moral and our intellectual health, our health are affected the way food affects our body. In other words, what we have in our mind works on us to not allow things to happen uh, the way food does when we... When we uh, feed ourselves um, badly. So now coming down um, to the 10th, and I'm reworded this a lot to give it the, the sense that the Torah would say it in a different way, but uh, when one experiences a truly moral act in another person, it evokes in themselves a taste of our own inner possibility. If you ever met someone that you really felt was a truly moral person, that really spoke the truth, um, it, it tells us that we could have that inner possibility. It is because of that that we cannot help to feel genuine respect and love for a good person. When you really have and see a good person, you, ha- you can begin to feel the respect for them for living in that kind of way. We ourselves become good when we sense another's goodness. When we feel someone is really good, we begin to begin to feel our own goodness. And in that moment, we see that we, what we wish for, we will, we will 
we are built for that that clear that purity of being of being good and when we see it in another we feel it in ourselves and we hope to have that the also the flip side's true too right unfortunately yeah yeah, yeah. The Torah, in its way, talked about that. The model of a person that can be modeled as uh, Moses and the prophets uh, tried to do. Um, we can get something just from the model itself. That's big. Yeah. Hey, and speaking of um, model people out there... Um, Sean Vill and Lisa Grossman, you'll be two of them, and we appreciate your contribution to the show very much on PayPal, and we're grateful. Yeah, repeat contributors, both of them, so thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks, folks. We need it. And finally, as we just touch on some small points of the Torah, but we're never going to get into anything too elaborate or deeply. The Torah reminds us that we are seeking in body a new life on earth in which our actions and our behavior serve the higher impulses and intentions. The higher feelings are served. The higher thoughts could be served that consist of, uh, that constitute the heart. We could almost say we are searching for a new kind of body that has a new aim, a new purpose, to intentionally serve the good with our new heart. So Take that! So, I see our time is um, up. Folks, what I plan to do is I just told you a little bit of the key points of the Torah. Um, for, of course, for yourself, if you're any interested you would have to um, read about it to start off with. Jim, I got to say that the last line where you were talking about the Torah seeking like a new body, a new mind to serve higher, that sound, it was a little new Rockney-ish. I mean, like I was ready to run out of the door and seriously mm. take battle. Really? I was very inspirational. Mm. Okay. And the Torah is inspirational in that way. It speaks uh, in, in that in that form. Um, so that's the end of the points I want to make for tonight. And I see our time is about at our half hour time. What I plan to do now that we touch the Torah, we've been through a lot of Buddhism and so on. Um, now we're in the era of the beginning of Christianity, and the next week I'd like to talk about Christ as impact, Jesus' impact, and bringing a whole new order and a whole new consciousness to humanity. So that'll be next week's talk. That's going to be good. Okay, so we want to say goodbye to our podcasters, and uh, thanks uh, for tuning in, uh, and um, uh, thanks for our donors who have paid in PayCal. 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 Codcasters, PayCal. Right. No, Uh, PayPal and, um, yeah, you got it, Jim. PayCal, right. And um, so we thank you for tuning in. We want to hear from you. you. And when we get the phone lines hooked up, then you could uh, 
give us a call, too. So goodbye and thank you. Jim, say mahalo. Mahalo. Reach the show on Twitter at LLWJC or email us at Jim Carolla at AdamCarolla.com.
You're listening to the Ace Broadcasting Network.